Welcome to Dementia Dialogue. This is the second episode of a two-part series introducing the topic of community involvement and acid-based community development. In this short series, I speak with Grenville Johnson, a teacher, musician, artist, and dementia advocate, and Allison Finney, a professor, nurse, and community-based researcher. In the first episode, Grenville and Allison speak about how they each got involved in community-based work and speak extensively about stigma and fear and how they're working to make change. Grenville talks in detail about one of two projects, creating a t-shirt that has been distributed to change people's perspective of what living with dementia is about. In this episode, Alice and Grenville describe a toolkit that came out of collaboration between community and people living with the experience of dementia and is meant to help others understand their experiences in the hopes that engagement and inclusion of those with dementia will become normalized. Here is the continuation of my discussion with Grenville and Allison. So Allison, you had started to talk about the toolkit that your project is working on. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Yeah, and I, I suspect Granville will have some things to, to say as well. I think, Granville, you've been much more involved in that than I have. So I'll, I'll tell you from my, my perspective, some of how this came to be. So as a researcher, we got some funding to ask a question. What can people with lived experience of dementia tell us about the concept of social citizenship? That was our concept, our theory. And as I understand it, the action group said, nah, they shook their heads and said, no, nah, that's not good language. That's, that's not what the issue is and really pushed back. And what we learned from that was the issue of stigma is that's where we need to go. So I think along the way, and, and again, Granville, I'm looking at you, you, you'll be able to tell a richer story about this, but the action group met for the first while it was face-to-face. -face. Granville, you weren't a part of it at that time because you live far away from Vancouver. But when the pandemic came, that's how sometimes really difficult things open up opportunities. The group enlarged. We had people come from different parts of the province and we met every two weeks for an hour, an hour and a half, and had a lot of conversations. People shared a lot of experiences around this issue of stigma and talked about the problems that, that this faced. How, you know, what, what were some experiences people had in pushing back against that? And there was lots of conversation. The group, I think, probably learned a lot from each other about this and wanted to share it. And the the idea came up was like, well, let's create an online toolkit. So other people with dementia, I think that's where it started. Other people with dementia can learn from this. And maybe, I don't know, Granville, maybe this is part of your project talking about coming to terms with something that's happening to you and then being able to offer it as a gift to others. And perhaps that's partly what was happening here. This toolkit now exists online. It's, I think it's quite beautiful and easy to use. And it includes all these, these um, examples of the conversations that people have had over the last year, year and a half to help others recognize the stigma and fear and to find a way to, to challenge that and 
to be an advocate and to find a, a kind of a, a good place to be as someone living with dementia. Yeah, so it really came, it really grew out of the work of the action group in that way. I don't know, Granville, if you, you almost certainly have more you can say about that. Yeah, Granville, do you wanna do you wanna share with me how the toolkit came about and and your thoughts about it? To first recognize the areas that the toolkit needed to be in to do the most, to make the most, um, to be the most effective. We had to have it simple enough and easy to understand that a person with dementia could could be able to act, understand the language and directions and make sense of find what they wanted to find in within it. We also had to have another component for the um, care partners, care people. So they themselves could see where their roles fit, will fit within realities of stigma, giving them an opportunity to be taped discussions that, that are presented in the toolkit to let them hear the examples of stigma and how it affects people with dementia. So they perhaps can hear themselves here and there in what they've said or how they felt when they've dealt with someone with dementia. For instance, in, in a restaurant, when you're with a group of people and the, the waiter takes your order and your care partner or the, someone else in the community, in the group speaks for you or you're in doctor's office and with your care partner and the doctor talks to the care person and never to you or never looks at you throughout the visit and how we can deal with, how you can deal with that, which took us, so that was the person with dementia, the person with the, the care partner assisting the person with dementia. And then the circumstance of that we all have had to deal with and repeatedly was the, the medical professionals. In that particular one, it's a true log jam, a bottleneck, a dam <laughs> that needs to be broken <laughs> because it's set in stone in their training. For instance, here in Prince George, there was a much to do made about a group of professionals that are building environments to help dementia people. You have the urban designer, the social worker, the uh, clinical professional, three of them, all working on developing areas that provide easier access for dementia people. There was not a dementia person on that committee. And this is a full page ad in a newspaper on the web, biggest thing, it's biggest thing since um, white bread and no, no reference, no connection, nobody, no dementia person involved doing it for us again. So that's where this toolkit, your audience is for those people to understand that it's, they can't create an environment for you to live in without knowing what you want. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, that, exactly. that's it. That makes sense. <laughs> but that's that's the nature of the society. Yeah. There, there's a blind, there's a disconnect. Yeah. So, so the toolkit is working, working, chipping away at that. The toolkit was not mentioned in that ad at all, which means they not they did not access us. Period. There was no attempt to. Do you think that's going back to the stigma? That that's the fear piece. Yes, the fear is subliminal; it's below the conscious, and that's that's why it's so pervasive mm -hmm. and hard to deal with. Yeah. And we who have dementia, our fear is not subliminal; <laughs> our fear is right on the surface. Mm -hmm. So we have to work with that. But unfortunately, is. It puts us in a position with the society as being the adults in the room. Yeah, the subliminal fear, what we hear the, the groups that we're working with say is that uh, it speaks back to the point you made, Granville, about the invisibility of this. It's like, yeah, we know people with dementia are coming into our, into our building, um, but we're not sure who they are. And we might suspect, but we're not sure what to say. We don't know what to say. So I, I think something like this toolkit that, as you say, Granville, so will sort of chip away at that. I mean, the benefit of this is that it can potentially have some real reach and that it's kind of easy to, to look at. It's easy to find. And it does, when people have looked at it, they, they are hearing people's experiences. They are seeing people with lived experience saying these things, and it's kind of serving a, a, a wake-up call or something. I, I think people are finding it quite powerful. You know, my, my hope is that communicating well with someone with dementia is communicating well with anyone. Mm -hmm. So exactly. why shouldn't we be inclusive for people with dementia. This is about being inclusive. But there, there is something, I think partly it gets identified with a medical diagnosis sometimes. And people think, well, that's a, that's a problem for the healthcare system. Maybe we don't need to think about it in community. It's something you know, the doctors and nurses need to figure out. But it certainly, it, it's more than that. So Allison, this this project began, um, and you had talked about the initial intention behind the work and some about the implementation. Did you go into this, and, and at this point, have things been different than what your original plan was? Um, and if so, can you talk a little bit about that? The most immediate thing we have to say, and in a way it's important, and in a way it's not, it, we never expected the pandemic. We did not expect this to, for everything to be online. And I think that's both, somehow I think that's both, like I say, a superficial response, and perhaps it's also a very profound response. I think it has shown us some ways that we can be more inclusive. And it's opened up possibilities for different kinds of ways to engage that we wouldn't have imagined before. We are learning things about how to connect well with people with dementia online, take some work. Everyone's different. Some people are finding it not too difficult. Other people, it's very hard and they need particular kinds of support. Mm -hmm. But once they're there, 
they're really there. Um, so there's been some good things that we've learned. It's been much, much slower than I thought it would be, than I might have hoped. And I venture to say largely that's because we've all been so distracted and stressed and tired. I, I think we continue to have to say that and recognize that we're living in a different world in many respects than we were three years ago. We live in a time of there being a lot of change. Mm -hmm. And you know we're talking together at a time when there's a new war happening, climate change, we're all distracted. I think it's been, I feel a, a little apologetic because I feel in a way it's like I'm, I'm kind of sharing my, my personal uh, thing that, but we're all going through this mm -hmm. together. I don't know that I would have, I took that into account so I think we're doing this work together when we're all struggling with a lot of things mm -hmm. and it takes time. But there's also, I may be losing a bit of track of your question, but I've also been perhaps in that context, a little surprised that no one's given up. Mm -hmm. It's been slower. Um, we still have groups and individuals in this project that are really keen and excited to be moving this forward. Even if I'd imagined that bad things might have happened in our world. It's still quite something that we're continuing to move forward. I, you know, I said earlier, I think it is true. I think I had imagined a way that we would have had bigger, what, what I was thinking of as bigger community conversations. Those conversations have been smaller. Perhaps, and I, I think we're seeing ways now with, the, with something like a toolkit that we may be able to expand those community conversations around that toolkit. People who know about how to, who know about conversations, those people will say a three-way conversation is usually better than a two-way conversation. So perhaps that toolkit will become the third party and allow us to really expand our reach so we're not just kind of talking to each other, talking with a few other people with dementia or talking with a few champions in the community who say they wanna do something, but be able to reach out further and say, no, let's, let's talk together about this and learn about that dementia, as it says in the toolkit, it's not what you think it is. What do you think it looks like? It actually looks different. And here's a way, you know, the, the, the research action group has really, um, some amazing work, I think, together to bring that to the surface and to find ways, t-shirts, toolkits, and I don't know what's next, but ways to, as you said, Granville, with your arms reaching forward to offer this up and share it to the bigger community. It's just going to take longer than we thought. Where had you hoped to be at this point? I had hoped that we would have, oh, well, I kind of feel like we've lost a year. I mean, to be kind of okay. kind of technical about it, um, I had hoped that maybe a year ago we would have had, I we sort of thought we would start small with a few organizations and then by midpoint in the project, we would have more groups. And then in the latter part of the project, it would be about reaching out sort of nationally and talking about this. Well, here's an opportunity to talk nationally. We're doing that now. Mm -hmm. Um, we are only now with one year left of funding in that particular project to have more groups happening. And it makes sense. Like some of the groups 
were uh, their employees of the city of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And the city of Vancouver closed libraries and closed community centers for a long time. And those employees have been just struggling with the complexities of their work to think, to think that actually even now, I mean, we're still in pandemic times, that they actually are saying, oh, okay, maybe we can, we can free up some space now to think about how we can um, align our work to be more inclusive for people with dementia. We're starting to have those conversations now with those bigger kind of institutions. Okay. I feel like what we're grappling with right now is um, the tendency amongst organizations to say, we don't know very much about this. We want to know more. So how are we going to create learning materials? And part of the message that this project, that the work that we're doing, and I'm here, I'm looking at you, Granville, um, the work that we're doing as a, as a bigger group is learning modules. If you count the, 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 the flipping stigma toolkit as a learning module, it's a good example. That's, that's part of it, but it really is about bringing people with dementia to the, to the table. And let's do this work together. And you learn by doing. Yeah. And, you know, I have learned about working with people with dementia by working with people with dementia, sitting and listening and kind of figuring it out and learning from. You make your people come from all walks of life. Yeah. They come, they're professionals, they're uh, medical people, they are uh, designers, they are world, they're world builders in their own right before they were diagnosed with dementia that those skill sets and talents are still there mm -hmm. uh, society has tended to, sh to shut them out and lot and therefore losing all that rich diverse uh wealth of information that that's at their fingertips mm -hmm. we need to open that door again and, and the people that have act and have a capability of doing that granville this is a question for you how does seeing more people with dementia, with lived experience um, in the community and being active in the community um, and engaged in, in different events and social circles, how does that work to remove stigma? How does it familiarize society with more uh, with dementia and break down those emotional and um, psychological barriers? So we need, the society needs to to accept dementia people as people still able to contribute to society in a positive way that they were doing before they were before they were uh, uh, diagnosed with dementia. Now they need special supports, like someone who has physical mobility issues. You get them a walker or her a walker, but you don't erase the person. You need to support society, need to support dementia. Yes, you may have, have to, that particular professional may need an assistant to help them with in an area that they have, they have trouble with. Yes, that's true. But that person can still contribute. And so the assist is not a detriment. The assist is a con contribution to the, into the group, not a loss of it. Right, so when we talk about because this work is really about inclusion, right? Is yes. is so? Can you talk a little about for, a little bit about that from your perspective? Then, 
you know, from the lens of this, this culture of inclusion, you know, and that being central to destigmatizing dementia. The wonderful thing about inclusion is it creates understanding, uh, facilitates uh, empathy, and it shares love. And that end result is what we all want. And stigma cuts us off from those three things. So the stigma is not just a loss for the people who are stigmatized, it's a loss for society. Society cuts itself off from an incredible growth experience mm -hmm. through stigma. And with all the horrible things that are happening in our in society and in the world, because stigma is a global reality, the stigma here is nothing compared to the stigma in the in the Eurasian work culture. Nothing at all. What happens in the Eurasian culture is is abhorrent once you once you are diagnosed with dementia. You literally are shut up in your house by your family and you cease to exist until you die. That is abhorrent, but that is what happens. Here, we are allowed somewhat to carry on, but the society puts us off to the side and society cuts, us, cuts itself off from that opportunity to open and expand itself and, and grow into empathy, into uh, enrichment and into love. So it's just, th th this is not just a effort to, to in increase our lot, it's an effort to save our society, which I feel right now is on life support. Yeah, I totally agree our, with you Our there. fears are killing us, literally. And we need to understand that so we can change that. What's next for this project for the tool, toolkit? You know, what are your aspirations moving forward? I'll jump in because here I do have something to say. When you were talking about that logjam granville of, of medicine, of the medical world, and beginning with, with the education, that is one piece that we want to start to chip away at and maybe in a bigger way. So one of the, the next projects we're hoping will be to partner with, with primary care providers. So we're thinking to start with maybe nurse practitioners and family doctors, the people who are, are the ones that are, you know, they're like the doctor's office, the, the ones often that may be the first point of diagnosis perhaps and to work uh, with them, look at that toolkit and learn from them about how this might be useful. Because a lot of them, they're, they're kind of stuck in the same place. They, they kind of see some, many of the same problems, but they, they're kind of stuck or they may not be aware. And just, could this toolkit be something that would be helpful in that context? So that's, that's one part of the answer in terms of where, where next. How about you, Granville? Where do you see things going next? I see things going eventually, and I'm hoping sooner than later. We have been reaching out to uh, to the general public, and I think that's absolutely necessary. Much 
but we also must take into account an area that is that is um, uh, in and, in and of itself is a minefield, and that is the personal relationships between dementia people and their care partners or other members of their family. That that is so often where the lack of support is the most detrimental. And because of the familiar relationship, it's the hardest nut to crack. Because of relations, of relations and attitudes that were that became calcified long before the the uh, dementia took hold. It's difficult to act on with extremely difficult to to effect change when attitudes have been so solid have become perhaps negatively solidified and now with this new ingredient in the mix how do you find empathy no i just have to say your this last point that you've raised granville is the beginning perhaps of a whole other important discussion and the when we talked about the challenge of identifying people with dementia to do this work I, that that is part of the issue is that it's not individuals living on alone it's actually identifying families mm -hmm. and um and the challenges that come that come with that and important the challenges and, and benefits but very often it can be difficult for families to reach out and say you know my my husband might appreciate this opportunity can i introduce him to you so that's important i would just say to come back to the building capacity project that we're in a, a much better place now two three years in to be building building capacity of organizations to work with and people with dementia and to learn from them, not to be learning about. And it's been through a lot of the work done by this research action group, the tools they've developed, but also um, the capacity that group has developed um, as a whole and the, and the different people in that group who are all, as, as you've said, Granville, all very different and all contributing to this in different ways, bringing different skills, so I think there's some real uh, potential as we're moving forward toward the, the end of this project and maybe the start of some new ones to really be working together much more effectively, better than it would have been three years ago. So in that, if that's the, the outcome, I think that's quite a, that's a good place to be. I think it also takes some time when you're working with, with a group, just to be able to get to know each other, to feel yep. comfortable with each other, to trust one another, and this then is a big to, part of it. Yeah, to use your your collective skills to yeah. move things forward. So yeah, Allison, I, you say you're you're maybe a year behind, and that's I think just a you know in funding language. Yeah, I think you guys are doing a great job with. It sounds like you're having some great impact, and you know, leaving you're going to leave leave a mark. Definitely. I, I, yeah, I think the idea about time is important. And because when we're in funding, like funding talk or project talk makes you think about timelines and, and we're not talking about just another project, right? Like we're talking about, about a, an important social, social transformation. You're talking about so, people. 
we're talking about people who, yeah, people and families in our communities and changing the way we think about getting older. And yeah. so that's a, that's a long-term, that's a long-term. It thing. is. Yeah. Long-term. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you've we're made some long-term. We are. <laughs> for the long haul. All right. Well, I thank you both for taking time today. Granville, it was lovely meeting you and hearing your story. And I hope our paths will cross again, Allison. I hope our paths will cross again as well. Absolutely. Um, they have over the years, and I, I hope yeah. that continues. Thanks to Allison and Granville for their honest yet positive conversation. Honest about the challenges, yet positive about the benefits their work is reaping. I was especially taken by Granville's description of the three elements of a culture of inclusion that build on each other, understanding leading to empathy and growing to love. You can find the toolkit at flippingstigma.com and in our notes accompanying part one and two of this interview. Thanks to Lisa for hosting these two episodes and for working with the Building Capacity Project to bring us another episode in 2023. If you are working on a project or producing information that you think our listeners might be interested in, please contact us at dementia.dialogue at lakeheadu.ca. Thanks also to the Centre for Education and Research on Aging and Health at Lakehead University, our institutional partner, and to the Public Health Agency of Canada for its financial support. We can deliver our episodes to your inbox if you write to us at dementia.dialogue at lakeheadu.ca. Please follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and on Twitter. Thanks for listening. My name is David Harvey.